Let me introduce you. Let me introduce you. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Let Me Introduce You, the Film and Friends podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us. Uh, Hey, if you are joining us for the first time, thank you. What's this whole show about? Um, Three best friends from film school. Uh, We met nearly 20 years ago. We basically just uh, get together and we, you know, decide to talk about films because we have so much in common except our taste in film. It can be wildly divergent. Uh, so in the true spirit of friendship, um, every episode we introduce each other to a movie that at least one of us has not seen, and we figure out uh, how the others reacted, why we chose it, um, or why we chose to subject them uh, to it, uh, which may be more of the case this week. Um, <laughs> This uh, this theme that we're working on right now uh, is siblings. So each of us has had an opportunity to bring one of our siblings on, and this week it's my turn. Oh wait, but who am I? Hey everyone, uh, my name is Ashley, and I am joined by my two lovely co-hosts, Katie. Hello. And Graham. Hi. 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 <laughs> So, so far we've had a chance to meet um, at least one of Graham and Katie's siblings. Um, And we've been talking about movies that are close to our hearts or things that we watched as kids. Um, And because, you know, I don't like to always follow exact scripts. Um, If you've heard any of my summaries, I don't even write them. (laughs) Of course I would deviate from this one. So not only uh, are we, for the first time ever, discussing two movies at (gasps) once, two full-length movies at once. My guest... We actually never watched these together because our tastes were different enough and we had a wide enough difference. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce to you my big brother, Justin. Say hi. Hello. Yay. Yay, Justin. (laughs) Um, I am so fucking excited to have my big brother on this. Um, Justin is one of the reasons why I went to film school. He actually blazed the path uh, and he went to film school and works in the film industry today. He is a very accomplished editor. He has worked on American Horror Story, Twin Peaks, Mr. Robot. The list goes on and on. I'll let him speak for himself. But the thing <laughs> I'm really excited about, he is also working on the forthcoming Apple TV show, We Crash, to be released in 2022, starring Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway about WeWork. And oh, y'all. Cool. How big awesome. It? He's a big that, fucking deal. That's my really awesome. That's really I'm cool. excited. Oh, so Justin, what are some of your other credits that I may have missed or other things you would like to highlight? Um, I think you got all the good ones. I mean, I, I'm editing. I mean, I started at assistant editing and worked for Martin Scorsese, um, doing No Direction Home and the little bit of work on the Rolling Stones doc he did and the George Harrison. And then, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think you've got all the big ones. So, Yeah. He also um, was an uh, assistant editor on the first season of The Office. So, mm. what a wow! That, yeah, that too. <laughs> Jeez, I know he's just done so much. It's like, oh yeah, what else has he done? So, yeah, it's like, Justin, it's, it's fine. 
Yeah, no big deal. So, Justin, can you tell us a bit more about your film taste, like either what you like to watch or what you like to work on, and then tell us a little bit about um, the movies that you chose today? I'll start with the movies I chose are definitely in the horror genre, um, and that's probably what I started growing up, like, watching, like, when I really got into movies, like, actually not just passively, really getting into it. I mean, I would, you know, have sleepovers with friends, we'd watch a bunch of horror movies, and that was kind of... My first love. I think it's kind of gotten a lot. I mean, that's not my main love now. I mean, I really do enjoy them. I just think the movies that are coming out now, horror-ish, aren't that, and the horror genre aren't, aren't kind of don't interest me so much anymore. But it really branched out to like Hitchcock and a lot of older Hollywood stuff, and then you know into kind of a lot of like the French New Wave. And I mean, I'm it's a pretty eclectic group of stuff. I mean. You can see behind me my records, but if I yeah. turn it the other way, you're going to see two bookcases full of movies. Um, so it's, you know, there's a, it's, I, I kind of love a lot of stuff. I mean, what I typically work on and what I tend to enjoy is stuff on the darker side of human nature. Not explicitly dark, but I think horror story, I think, you know, Twin Peaks has elements of that. I think robot has a lot of that um but i don't i wouldn't call it bleak dark i just think it's elements that explore you know things that explore just the darker side of human nature i think definitely the new thing i'm doing explores that the the we crash series you know just um so and i'm kind of more interested in that it's not so much a thing that takes um that is so much always in vogue <laughs> but i mean mm-hmm. i could be wrong with squid game getting so much uh Wonderful, like, you know, wonderful recognition. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which we just watched together, and that was really fun. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the best series this last year. You know, I think the the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I picked it because of the sibling. I was trying to think of a movie we would watch together, and I couldn't really remember. But this movie I had watched when I was in high school. And I, you know, I watched movies, like, had been watching a lot of horror, like, when I was in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade with, like, you know, my friends and doing sleepovers and, like, we just would watch horror films all night. And I didn't watch this for high school for some reason. It was one of those films that people talked about. It's like, this is going to be the scariest fucking thing you're ever going to see. It was always, like, every kid in middle school and even high school would be like, oh, it's so fucking scary. You aren't going to believe it. And I remember I finally, like, rented it uh, in a video store when those still existed. And Probably watched on it, like. Yeah, oh, definitely on VHS in, like, a very, like, everything. And I remember watching it in the afternoon, like, after school and, like, in the basement of our house and thinking, I'm going to be so fucking freaked out. This is going to be scary. And I sat there watching and I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for it to get scary. <laughs> and it's definitely gory, but it's, like, and it definitely has those elements, but it wasn't the scariest thing I'd certainly seen. And, and I remember, it like, Got to last 10, 15 minutes, and our brother Josh walked down. He's like, what are you watching? I'm like, I'm like, text you master. He's like, oh, how is he? He's like, I'm like, I thought it was supposed to be scary. Mm. And <laughs> we finished watching it, and I was just like, I was like, he's like, so is it scary? He's like, I don't really think so. Let's watch it again. And we sat there and watched it again. <laughs> And we laughed hysterically through the whole fucking thing. Really? <laughs> like, I, one of the hardest, because it is, there's a lot of elements of ridiculousness in it. And I don't think they're, they're not very obvious because of the way it was shot. It's a very, you know, it, very grainy cinema veritatum's kind of look. And, but I think those elements really do exist, especially when you're watching with a group of people. It becomes, I think there are things like the dinner scene at the end and other things to me just become, it just becomes comic 
but it's very unobvious, which is why I wanted to say we should throw in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we don't need to spend as much time talking about that, but I think, you know, Toby Hooper would always talk about that, like, those elements are there, people just didn't see them. And I think the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is almost a remake of, like, the second one, but in an 80s, bigger, badder way. I mean, the essential storyline is, like, group of kids in Texas, like, you know, pick up a hitchhiker, who turns out to be pretty fucking nuts. And then they end up like getting, you know, going to like visit the house of like a relative and end up like kind of getting like wandering over to like, you know, these, these, this family of crazy people and slowly getting picked off one by one. You know, I mean, that's a pretty basic thing, but there are elements of like, you know, Ed Gein was like a huge influence on like Toby Hooper, like write about this. I mean, you definitely see it with like the dead, you know, the 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 mother who's like been mummified and like yeah. kept in the house. But I mean, I think he does something that isn't, you know, you know, so is Psycho. Psycho is very, you know, like based on Ed Gein. But this is kind of a more dysfunctional family, which I thought was kind of fun to watch coming from, you know. We weren't that dysfunctional, actually. But a little bit dysfunctional. <laughs> we weren't this saw level. saw some of yourself in that. <laughs> yeah. We weren't yeah. this level of dysfunction. Yeah. I so hope I've, not. I've eaten dinner at your house, so that, I'm just yeah. to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, now I'm, I'm suspect after those dinners. Yeah. <laughs> there was no murder, but... We may have secretly wanted to murder each other. There was maybe some emotional murder happening, but but not so much. I'm really curious. So, like, so we watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974 and then Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 1986. I had never watched either because you heard Justin say, like, he started watching horror in elementary school when I was, like, a toddler, right? (laughs) So even in high school, I was in elementary school. So we didn't really, for what Justin's like love of at the time we didn't really have a lot of connections and I know that like if I had come down you probably would have been like uh Ashley you need to go upstairs because I have a really distinct memory of us watching American History X together when I was maybe in middle school and like you literally sent me out to our deck during the curb stomp scene because you were like you can't watch this like you were you were very kindly protecting it. I have to say that's not the memory I remember most about us oh, watching really? music. The memory I remember the most is I drug you and mom and dad to go see The Bicycle Thief at the Oak Street Cinema, which is a repertory cinema at the uh, in Minneapolis. And you were like, I don't want to see a movie about bicycle thieves. <laughs> <laughs> I was a dumb no. fucking kid. Was I like a teenager? I can just see myself Granted, being an you were asshole. probably like in your very, very early teens. So I wouldn't have wanted to see it at that age too. But it was like one of those very funny things that an 11 or 12 year old would say. <laughs> I don't want to see this beautiful black and white Italian piece of cinema that just formed yeah. so many things. What garbage! You were like very upset, like like yeah. <laughs> I was a dumb kid, so I appreciate your influence on me because yeah. then I ended up I going think, to film school. So I think you were used to getting your way with dad, so I think you were oh, like, yeah. you were like, I'm not throwing a hissy fit and like you let me out. Yeah, <laughs> I think they were like, nope, you got to go. So no, yeah. it's culture. <laughs> This is culture, yeah, Ashley. Yeah. Stop yeah. listening to KDWB and and Top Forty. And get some fucking culture. Yeah. Well, so Katie, that's still culture, Kate. Ashley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a it's different type. Lowbrow versus highbrow, right? So Graham and Katie, tell me about your impressions because it's like just it's basically just fucking weirdos in Texas killing it's each other. Pre- yeah. I, well, I'll give you the quick and also the quick like summary of the of two is basically it's just a almost a 
remake of the first one, but with a, several elements changed, Dennis Hopper being like supposed uncle of some of the dead kids. But they almost follow like the original story beat for beat in many ways once like it gets to the second half of the movie. I mean, many things are like visibly repeated. It's just this huge like production. And I actually say like just even that little like layer they're in is like you're like – God damn it! They were doing a lot of fucking cocaine in the eighties, you know. So, because yes. it was, it was made by Golan, produced by Golan Globus, who were like a very famous like production company producers in the eighties, who were known for doing these huge kind of crazy, not great movie productions. Although I think this is one of their better ones. But and there's a great documentary about them about about their time in the eighties called uh, Electric Boogaloo. Um, that it's about it, but it's just sort of like. The stories of that production company, Canon Films, are just legendary. So well right. worth watching and very right. funny, I should say. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Impression. So I'd love to hear what you guys think. So when this was suggested that we were going to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2 during the wonderful holiday season, <laughs> I, I was paused. <laughs> it's a polite way to And I was like, Ashley, really? <laughs> so my only... I... I, I, I mean, I, we haven't we've gone through a lot on this show that I'm a huge horror fan, but I, I this is like one of the classics, so I was really interested in watching it because my own, my first experience ever hearing about it was did you ever see that movie Summer School with Mark Harmon and Kirstie Alley? Yes, it's like a huge part of that movie. Like the, these two like dorks are obsessed with Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they watch it together in the movie, the whole class, and that was my only impression, and I thought this is gonna i'm gonna be terrified like i I, just in what you were saying like i thought that was going to be my experience and i will say i had a very crazy week so i had to watch this on on my commute on my iphone (laughs) (laughs) so that could have tempered my experience but i was i was like we're okay so when is this when is stuff going to happen when i'm when i'm watching the first one because i did think when they started with the a hitchhiker. I was like, what is this? This is really <laughs> weird. I do think once people started getting killed, um, I was like horrified by how they were killed, obviously, like meat hooks and like getting their heads bashed in. I liked that I didn't see a lot of gore in this. Yeah, it's actually one of the least gory films, even right, though people remember right. it as gory. Right. And. And I also, to kind of connect to our, our episodes on Candyman and Hellraiser, a lot of the action happens during the day, which for me, watching horror, like, makes it a little bit more palatable for me because, you know, I don't think bad things are, <laughs> are going to happen during the day, if that makes any sense. So, but, like, the ending scene with the dinner scene was just, like, I kind of was like, this is silly. This is really funny. I'm kind of <laughs> just like... <laughs> I laughed so hard when I watched that scene. I mean, it's so over the top and so crazy. And to me, I'm just like, this is like, he's having a go at the audience. Yeah, like, he pure, knows this ridiculous. He yeah, knows it's, it's pure camp. chaos. And, yeah. I'm, and, and then the grandpa trying to hit her head, he's just like, can't. <laughs> uh, and so th- the first one, I was just like, okay. I was surprised that it was... I didn't feel like a lot happened. Um, and I was kind of expecting more. The sequel mm-hmm. is so different <laughs> that we'll get into. I actually, I actually kind of like the sequel. Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> it is always success I, well, when Graham likes a horror. I, well, one is is just it, it. It it was a little more slick and just like they laid into the humor so much more. 
that it almost gave me like, you know, you have Gremlins, Gremlins Two, just like very <laughs> different store like ways of telling the story. So um, I don't, I wouldn't say I liked the second movie, but I enjoyed it a lot more than the first one because it was just pure chaos. My favorite part of both of these movies is when in the second one, when Chop Top, Chop Shop, comes to terrorize um, the woman at the radio station and he's just like pestering her, pestering, pestering her and then he goes, oh, what's in this room? And turns the light on and Leatherface comes like screaming out. I was like, that is a great shot. That's a great scene. And the layer, the whole set design of the layer, yes, was awesome. I think not only cocaine, maybe a little bit of meth was also happening on that <laughs> it's, set. It's Texas. Who knows yep. what's going on? But um, <laughs> it just like the, the way that the, it was just turned up way more for the the sequel and really laid into just the absurdity of it made me like it a lot more than the first one and I'm very surprised by it. What was the really campy New Zealand horror that we watched that Graham liked? Dead Dead Alive? Yeah. I was like, when you're talking about that, it's making me think about your reaction and I feel like you appreciate and understand like camp in a way that I still just like don't get. So I think think the first one is is, there's a lot more dread in the way it's shot, and this one, it's just like I, if I know it's just silly and it's gonna be buckets of blood and nothing is gonna, you know, I, I just felt like I could get into the story more when I'm just like I'm not gonna be scared here. This is just silly and fun. I like that you go into something like psyching yourself up that you're not gonna be scared, and I know that a part of me is so like just you know desensitized that that thought doesn't even cross my head. Like being scared is not even something I expect to happen when watching any of these movies anymore. Well, okay. No, I, I, don't, I don't know why. It's just... I, so, I watch... Graham's a wimp, and... I... Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I, I, I am, yeah. First of all, Justin, please don't hate me for anything I'm about to say, because not everything... No, I'm, I just I'm hate you say... already. No, I'm just That's kidding. fine. That's okay. <laughs> so, as everyone knows, I'm a giant horror fan, but the horror genre is is filled with so many different subgenres. Um, and this, at least the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, always kind of occupied this subgenre of, like, I don't want to say, like, torture porn, but, like, mm. stuff that makes you uncomfortable in a different sort of way than something like Nightmare on Elm Street or something like Halloween. This is a different level. It, it's It's... Both of these movies, to me, the the main word I think of is disturbing. So it's how can we make the audience feel as disturbed as possible with what they show? And I say disturbing because the first one is has that reaction. And the second one I'm just is disturbing in a whole different ridiculous way. So I, I'd seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre maybe like not that long ago, maybe like eight years ago. It was always one of those movies that I knew was in like the lexicon and I just never really devoted any time to it. I, d- I don't know why. It was just never one I saw as a kid and it was never one that I was like gunning to see. But of course, when you go to like horror festivals or you go to stuff like Leatherface is always right there alongside, you know, the little dolls of, you know, all the other horror icons. So he's, he's, a, he's elevated to a horror icon status. But I just never really like watched it until a couple of years ago. So when I watched the first one a couple of years ago, I actually, I liked, I liked it because I was like, okay, this seems like a movie that one could happen anywhere, mm. two could go completely unnoticed if it did happen. So I like the idea of like danger can lurk around 
it could happen to anybody. These kids didn't do anything wrong. You know, there wasn't extens- There wasn't like those horror rules where it's like, oh, these two people had sex, so they die, and these two people are innocent, so they die. You know, it didn't have that uh, same formula. And uh, and it's the same with villains. Like, there are bad people out there, and you just don't know. We don't know where all the bad people are that exist. So there could be this family that lives in a random farm that people happen to stumble upon. Like, and, and these murders could happen, and then nobody could notice. So I like those elements of it. I like the dinner. I did like the dinner scene and, like, how over the top it was. But watching it this time, I'm just like, okay. And then, um, Graham, like you, I also watched it during a different kind of commute. I had to actually purchase both of these so I could download them and watch them on my plane from New Jersey to Los Angeles. So I'm watching them on a plane next to, like, two lovely strangers last night. And I've, like, got my phone, and I'm, like, turning towards the window so they don't see what's on my screen. But I love it. They're like, this woman is sick. I know, and I'm just like, uh. And then the woman next to me, she was watching 10 Things I Hate About You, so I'm like, oh, no. And then she started watching the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'm like, Okay, we're fine. Okay, yeah. Um, she probably got permission from you to like, oh, I can like go crazy too. Right. Right. Or, or it was her way of letting me know that she was okay that I was watching this. She's like, I got you. Yeah. I, my last plane ride, I watched Something's Gotta Give. <laughs> but yeah, I usually watch like whatever on the plane, but I'm always like hyper aware of who's next to me. So I had to watch both of these on the plane last night. The second one. I, this would have been a movie that I turned off. If I didn't have to watch really? the entire thing for this podcast, I would have turned it off. Really? Yeah, I hated it so much. <laughs> oh my god, uh, we, have, we have your Halloween three. <laughs> oh my gosh. I could not stand it because I love horror camp. Horror camp is one of my favorite things. This was just annoying as fuck. Like, the guy with the metal head, I'm like, can you, uh, clearly you're a ripoff of the hitchhiker from the first one. You make no sense to be in this family. And you're like, this hippie Vietnam, like, I'm like, you, just just annoying. And he's so repetitive in what he says. He's not scary. I'm just like, please, can you die soon? <laughs> I just like, just kill, please die. I, I hate that character. One of the things about all the actors in the second one, they didn't, they offered all the actors from the first one money to come back, but it was so low. None of them agreed to come back. So they're like, oh, we can just recast. It's not important who the family is. And Leatherface is just a mask. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. So I think it's very clear, like, they wanted to get all the original people back. But, like, we're like, no, we're not going to spend the money. I, so. I had that vibe when they showed the skeleton of Franklin. I was like, oh, they couldn't get, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cheap way to bring back your first cast. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I hated that guy. Dennis Hopper's character was just so annoying and first dumb all, and pointless and just like he he is sort of normal as a cop and then he just goes on this complete like religious vendetta and I'm just like <laughs> I can't believe he's in this movie. He was in Waterworld. No, but I'm just like shocked that he was in this movie. I did not, I just did not know that he was going to show up in this. I mean, he was still, it's an interesting period for him because he's still rehabilitating his image from being the total cocaine madman of the 70s. Yeah. And it wasn't really until Blue Velvet came out, which was same not year. too long after that. Yeah. Same like, year he, Blue Velvet? Yeah. He uh-huh. came, yeah. And so I think he was still, I think that was one of the first things he really, he had been doing movies, but not, I think it was still a long road of like, rehabilitating himself to like not being this crazy person that everybody thought he was when he kind of like flamed out in the seventies. So God, Dennis Hopper actually said this was the worst film he's ever done. 
until he did Super Mario Brothers in 93. And then he said, that's the worst film he's ever that done. Makes and I was like, man, I love Super career. Mario <laughs> Actually, I think you're the only person that likes Super Mario Oh my God, it, it was so enjoyable. Uh, I think you should revisit but it. But I like that this was not rock bottom for him. But like, and the radio, okay, so the radio host. Um, Stretch. Stretch. Yeah. Um, oh, she's, I mean, she's like a like stalwart her. of like several 80s films. Oh my and it's, God. I mean, that, I mean, the actress may not be the best performance, but she's been in a whole bunch of great, like The Legend of uh, Billie Jean. No, Billie yeah, Billie Jean. Jean. Yeah, not Billie, Billie Jean King. <laughs> no, no, but that's a great movie. She's in like a, she's like one of those 80s actor who popped up and like, and it just, I think is just, I don't think it's the greatest movie. I do think each movie really represents the period of time they come out of really well. And I think tech, the first one does it in a better way. And I think because it was the new wave of horror that was coming in and you really, I mean, that first one has the thing, like there really hadn't anything this gory ever. You know, maybe Last House on the Left, the first Wes Craven, mm-hmm. but nobody had seen that. And even that's a little bit different. I also think one of the great things about that first one is I it may be one of the first films that does the false disclaimer of this is a true story credit crawl. I, I don't think that had really been done. Yeah. And I think that's part of the legend of it. If like, a, a, you know, in the 80s and 90s until the internet, you couldn't look this up. So when I when people like would talk about it and I remember in grade school, it's like this is a true story. It's really, it's just fucking I mean, happened. I remember thinking that. I remember, like, oh my God, that yeah. really happened. How, yeah. how horrible. Yeah. This really paved the way for like Halloween, Evil Dead, Blair Witch. Like I'm watching this and I'm like, oh, I'm like turning to Bob because we're watching it together and he's my horror expert um, in Minnesota, right? I've got my two horror experts in California. And I said, oh, is this the same reaction of when we were kids or teens and Blair Witch came out? And he goes, yeah, basically. And so when I was reading about it, it it paved the way for that. It's also, it was reading about how with the violence, even though the deaths really happen off scene, like it helped open up slasher as a genre in horror. Yeah. I mean, I think the other great thing about that opening credit is Tobu was talking about, he put it in because he, you know, with watery and everything, he felt like, being so lied to in like the news and from like the president, he was like, what's really real anymore? I actually huh. think there is an interesting so much going on. I mean, you can see that happening so much in the cinema of the seventies where it is kind of a thing of like people really question the truth and like you have antiheroes and like, you know, you have all these political thrillers questioning institutions. I think we're kind of in a similar stage now. I just don't think filmmaking right now is doing anything as interesting. I also think things are just oversaturated with TV, but we're in a very post-truth thing where you could come out with something like that, but it's been done. It's a trope. Mm. So it is such an interesting thing of like, what's true, what's not? Because I think you could turn on the news and you half wonder half the fucking time, am I being told what's what's real? Go on Facebook. Like, is anything I'm being, you know, everything seems like it's a lie out there. It's very interesting to see that. And it definitely came out of 70s cinema. It's not, you know, I think that thing. I also think the great thing I love about the movie, and I didn't notice it me the first time I watched it, but I noticed it now having, like, the Blu-ray and a great thing is the soundtrack is pretty incredible. And I think without it being gory, it's all this very atonal kind of sounds. But also even on the radio, it's a very Texas story in a way because you hear in the radio, like, this kind of very cheesy kind of country kind of stuff. And it's like, that's that or, like, just kind of these things and it makes it so unsettling that the second one doesn't do, but it's such an interesting, great thing. And, and Toe Whipper and, and like his like sound guy, I think, had made that soundtrack. It adds to this level of dread that like, even though you aren't seeing things, you're expecting something really fucking, what the fuck is going around the corner here? And I think not enough horror films do that. And I think the soundtrack is so important. It's something I definitely, 
I don't know that I knew it when I was young, but, you know, sound to me is such an important thing of what I do. It's like, I think setting mood and, and like just all that is such a thing. I think that movie does it so well. The second one to me is just, it's a totally different thing. It, it is the horror camp of the eighties with Return of the Living Dead, Night of the Creeps, those kinds of films. And very much a lot of like filmmakers, even John Carpenter has like Big Trouble in Little China, which is a very kind of campy, you know, action. And it's like a lot of these filmmakers who had really pioneered like the the horror genre where it started to go in this other way. And it's kind of very fascinating that several of them did the same thing, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is like such an interesting, interesting. And I think horror and comedy are so tied together, you know, that it's, it is so interesting to see it go in such a comedic way in the second one, you know? See, that's so. the thing. I'm like, I love horror comedy. I love camp. I love when like return of the living dead is one of my favorite, favorite movies ever. Like, the effects in it and it's just so like ridiculous but in a fun way this one i could not stop being constantly annoyed enough to enjoy it and there weren't enough a- there weren't enough brains Th- that's <laughs> it. Yeah. there was not enough things where i was just like i'm just like please i'm like something fun please for the love of god anything fun but i i i'm so sorry i it, like it's it's bothersome to me because yeah i've like that I love, like, it, it, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is, like, a perfect example of that. Perfect it, movie. Yeah, perfect movie. Yeah, where it's it's campy and ridiculous, but also fun and not, it, like, the, the, the ice cream guys could get annoying, but they don't. This one, I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. There, I mean, there are some killer lines, though, you know. Small businessman always takes it up the ass. I did like the idea that he enters into a chili cook-off, though. That and was- then the woman eats like, like her like bite is like a tooth or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, and I was like, y'all, okay. I was repeatedly gagging throughout the second one. Like, it is just, I have reached a point, I don't know when this happened in my life, but when things are too real, like we watched... Bob started watching the French film Raw, which involves some cannibalism. I had to leave. I literally had to leave our living room and I had to go watch something else and listen to something because and I guess in one way that does show like how powerful the depictions were. Katie, all the the special effects makes and stuff was done by Tom Savini. I don't know if you caught that when you were watching it. So I was like, oh, it's our Tom Savini connection. Yes. Um, The great. Yeah. The great Savini. Right. I just. When I watched the first one, I'm watching it and like I I hadn't seen either of these. And I think there were points when I was a little bit scared because my imagination just lets me run with it. We watched it at night. But I was also sitting there just thinking, this is fucking absurd, weird. But it was more like I got annoyed at independent cinema. And then I felt really disappointed in myself as somebody who supposedly used to like independent cinema and I'm like I've just turned into a mainstream hack like what is wrong with me what do I need these big productions do I I don't care about actual storytelling anymore but Justin what you said about the soundtrack when I was researching for this episode they didn't use any actual music in the first one it is all like atonal and animal sounds and watching them so closely together there was such a hard switch like the opening credits of um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 does have, like, I wrote a note about it. I'm like, oh, it's got, like, the creepy horror film. And then it just does a hard cut into cheesy-ass 80s whatever. And there's... 
fucking two dudes in a Mercedes just like shooting signs. And also like, did anybody, I did not realize there were so many fucking car phones in the eighties. I was like, what is is going on here? I also didn't understand why they needed, why they had to hang up the phone. That was like the one thing you're like, that doesn't track, but it is like, it is like, yeah. I mean, that opening scene is kind of hilarious. The bad, like, like 3D sun, like sunglasses are great. Like, and, and then, then you know, and then the yeah. guy's head being split open. I was like, that is funny. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that reminds me of Return of the Living Dead more than anything. And even the soundtrack with like the cramps, you know, and it's like that, like the, th- the, there's a bit in there of like just a couple crazy kids out for a joyride, just a couple punks. That's been like used on a couple different like punk records. And I just love that kind of like bit. It's just so funny to hear. You know, so, but it reminds, I mean, I like, I think I prefer, prefer Return of the Living Dead more than this movie, um, but it does fit As into that mold of, yeah, and it is a better movie, but it does fit into the mold of what's yeah. going on in the 80s, which is I pretty, think, pretty great. What I like about the opening, though, is like, I really wanted to see those two guys get killed. Like, I think, like, I was really on Leatherface's side. I was like, because, and I thought that was a really fun turn, wherein you usually, like, the first kill is somebody like, oh, no, that poor person, they're in such duress. And I was like, these guys need to go. No, I wanted everyone to die in the second movie. Literally. Stretch? Everyone. Yes. She needed to stop screaming. And I. Uh, Kitty, she's being, she's about to get murdered. It was constant. <laughs> Leatherface was trying to fuck her with a chainsaw. Yeah, that like, was weird. <laughs> Katie, why do you hate women? <laughs> Just this one. Just not this all one. women. Hashtag not, not all women. When Leatherface dresses up like a pretty lady, I say more power to you, sister. But Stretch can die. Fair enough. Yeah. What I think is really interesting about this film is, um, and why I'm so glad that I finally have seen it, is that it's sort of like watching Citizen Kane and looking back at it and being like, oh, all this stuff has already happened. And you're like, no, but at the time, Mm. it really opened some things up. And so like when I was reading about this, talking about all the ways that it influenced the rest of the horror genre. So like, as we mentioned before, like the like opening up more like common elements in the slasher genre. So like using power tools or the killer as this like big hulking faceless thing and like killing all the victims. Cool thing. In Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, the only people killed are male, which is totally different from a lot of other ones. Which is mostly female. Woman in the whole thing except for the lady who tastes the chili, right? That's true. Which, you know, had human in it, which also made me gag. (laughs) Um, But it was talking about how it really influenced Wes Craven doing The Hills Have Eyes and Ridley Scott said that he cited it for making Alien um, and even saying that like Alien is basically Texas Chainsaw Massacre in space. So we're thinking about all of these these big sort of like well-known things or sort of like blockbusters, which totally forgot to shoot it to you, Graham. How did these films fare? Well, the first one was made for like what? A dollar? <laughs> like it was the budget was the budget was incredibly low. It was maybe like eighty thousand or something like that. It ended up grossing thirty million dollars when it was Whoa. released over time. It first came out in October of of nineteen seventy. Like nineteen seventies, thirty million dollars. That's yes. a lot. Yeah. So, uh, you know, huge profit. The second one came out in nineteen eighty six. It was an August release, and usually in August films, they're like it's a dumping ground. So that tells you what the what the uh, studio thought it opened it to 2.8 million dollars in 1986 and ended it with 8 million, which it still turned a profit. I think it doubled its budget. Still better than Teen Witch. 
<laughs> okay, Katie. It, it literally it literally topped that. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> Katie. It probably it made what like a hundred, like five hundred times. <laughs> I would pay money to see Leatherface do the top that uh, dance with. Uh... I mean, he's got his little dance at the end, maybe. <laughs> see, this is this is what I love about Justin's like understanding of film. Like, it's not just pocketed in a certain area. He can literally make references about. I love Teen Witch. I love Teen Witch. Yeah, it's I mean, the best. it's it's horrible, but it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so fascinating in the '80s, just how much stuff was thrown against the wall. I I find the '80s is always dumped on as like a horrible period for film. I actually think it's pretty fascinating. I think there's a lot of stuff going on, and I think. As compared to now, it was pretty... I think both these films, the thing, even if you hate the second one, there's a definitive voice telling the story. You may not like it, you know, um, but I don't feel that so much in today's filmmaking. I mean, there are very few real voices telling stories anymore. Like, And I kind of find a lot of things very faceless and very... I mean, I think it's a part of, like, we end up watching more TV than movies, and even the movies that come out feel very not great. You know, it's... I mean, I think the... It's it's been a kind of interesting. I, th- I think there are very great filmmakers working. It's just there aren't a lot of them, you know. And what's happening is very based. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Marvel anymore. I mean, I think I enjoy those films, but they all feel like one film. And I'm kind of like, you know, I've started to realize like I don't know that this is good for the thing. I think the thing I like about DC is those films all feel like a different. It every each one feels like its own story in its own way, and every film is doing, even though there's some continuity. At least they're doing different things. You know, you have the Zack Snyder thing, you have James Gunn. You have, I mean, at least it's like a it's it, they're letting people do things. I think the thing I get really frustrated with Marvel, it's all it's like one long thing, and it's like mm. how long can this last? But I think also just a lot of stuff out there is pretty faceless right now, and and I I don't know. I mean, I just don't think in horror you could get something like this coming out again. I think it's part of so many bridges and, 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 you know, things have been crossed as far as like, there's no real boundaries to cross in horror anymore. You know, Justin, have you seen the battery? No, I haven't. Is that a newer? Uh, it's maybe about like six, six years ago. It's, it's an independent film and it's, uh, it's a zombie film and it's got a lot of similar vibes to Texas Chainsaw Massacre and like how it's shot. And the filmmaker, I want to say is, I'm going to say the wrong name. I want to say Jeremy Gardner, but I don't think that's right. Uh, it's it's really good. The soundtrack's awesome. Um, if it feels very personal. I think you'd like it a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still some really great filmmakers working. It's just, it's interesting looking back 20, 30, 40 years. It felt like there were a lot more films that felt very distinct. And things feel very much more, I think there's still a few filmmakers working like that. Yeah. It just starts to feel, there's a big monoculture going on, I think. And it's I think it's a part of just, how things are being made. There's so few less studios making them. And it's kind of, but I mean, there are people who are making great stuff and making stuff that are in the horror genre. I mean, or even kind of horror adjacent. I mean, you, I don't think, I think it's Jeremy Garner who did like Green Room. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's and, the same guy actually. I, I just looked it yeah. up, I was like, I had the right name. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, that film is kind of incredible. And I was talking with a friend last night, we went out to go see a Sings a man's play, and she was like, "Oh, that film just grosses me out because it feels too real." And I was like, mm. "Yeah, it's fucking awesome. It's like you could imagine that would happen." And there's some pretty horrendous shit that happened in that film, and it's like it feels like that happened, you know? Like, yeah. Justin, did you see Titan? I haven't yet, but I love. Okay. I mean, Raw was her other film, and I th- I love Raw, and I haven't seen Titan yet. And I'm really excited to watch Titan. I saw um, Titan. <laughs> I'm excited. I mean, I've heard it's an experience. 
I love a great experience. I, I, I like. I feel like those are the greatest. I feel like that's the the stuff that's happening that's so fascinating right now is like when you get films that are so unlike anything. I mean, I will go to my grave saying the last couple of years my best cinematic experience going to theater was seeing Cats. And Agreed. I, I went. <laughs> we have Year's, discussed Cats on this podcast. Yes, yeah, I, but I'm going to tell you my little cats are. I went to a cat New Year's Day, the ArcLight 2020 before well, the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, took some medals with my girlfriend at the time. I, you know, the reviews were out. It was already very horrible. You know, like everyone knew. Mm-hmm. It was a 2 p.m. showing. I've never seen an audience so in revolt with itself. There were people <laughs> who clearly came to laugh at it. And there was an older crowd who came wanting to see a good musical. And these people were arguing throughout the fucking film. Love it. I've <laughs> never seen that so much. Thing. So you would have people laughing and making fun of it and singing along in a bad way, and people like, "Shut up! I'm trying to watch this." <laughs> and like older people saying this, you know, like this is incredible. And then in front of me, a couple rows down, was this younger kid, and he's probably six or seven with his family, and he'd be like, "The movie would quite be like, what's happening? <laughs> I don't get it. This is weird." Midway through the movie, he turns to his mom and says. Mom, this movie's too weird. It's freaking me out. I can't watch this anymore. I have to go. And they took him out of the theater. <laughs> Good sentence structure for that yeah. young child. <laughs> yeah. I maybe I mean it was just an incredible thing. Besides the movie just being batshit oh. crazy. But one it was of, like it, yeah. yeah. That was one of my favorite movie going experiences as well. I went opening day and I went by myself because no one would go with me. And the crowd was just eating it up. But Tatan was also an incredibly memorable experience as well because it is... The movie is disgusting. Um, I love it already. It is disgusting. My my partner, Brandon, wanted to leave, but we were with friends. I'm sorry, friends, your fiancé, so Brandon? My fiancé, Brandon. <laughs> and I... like the, To be in a tiny a tiny theater where people are just going... Gross, like that, like that visceral experience, and I left being like, I think that was brilliant. <laughs> that was like an incredible experience. I'm pretty excited. I mean, the only thing even close to that was like when I saw Climax, the Gaspar No film, which I think is another one of the best films of the last few years. Because I remember seeing it at the ArcLight, uh, the the actual Cinerama doing R.I.P. again, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I. I loved it, but I and I was with three friends. Me and another friend loved it. The other two hated it. But then people around us just visibly hated the movie. I think it's kind of incredible. I mean, it definitely is a divisive film. Gasparino was a very divisive filmmaker, but thank fucking God there aren't enough people like that out there anymore. But it is like incredible, and it's like that opening sequence, just the dance sequence alone. One of the best musical moments in any film in the last ten years. I sometimes just put that on to watch it randomly. Yeah. It's so great. <laughs> But it's back to this topic of, like, there's so many things out there that we see that, like, with some with some Marvel movies, I'm like, okay, that was nice, but I'm not thinking about it no, afterwards. No, I hated the last, like, four that so much of So much of these big films, I'm just like, okay, that was two hours, that's fine. But, like, I'm still thinking about Tatan. I'm still thinking about these, like, other r- random-ass movies that, that are tinier and not getting as much attention. And, like, that's that's what we need. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've thought about a lot and just kind of the stories I want to kind of tell and try to help to tell of, like, I, you know, the films I grew up with, the things I watched, even though, you know, you could hate such an atmosphere or not, it stuck with me for years. Something I thought about for years, something that lived in my imagination before I saw it. I couldn't tell you what really happens like that. I mean, we have, me and my, me and Ashley have nephews, and 
I think a lot for them, like, what are those films that are going to be like that? I mean, I think they're young, so the Marvel stuff is really fun for them. And that's awesome. But I don't know that it has, like, things that you graft onto as you get older that you think, oh, fuck, you know, I'm going to learn, you learn kind of life lessons and learn about life through movies in the way you do with books or other literature and other, like, great art. And I mm. kind of wonder about that a lot. And it's something that really kind of disturbs me because, you know, I think the Marvels was fun. I just, it's just so dominant, you know, and I wish that wasn't the case. I, I think it should exist. I just wish there was more stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And I think there is in some ways, and yet there isn't in the bigger mainstream, you know, and I think it's just like things just become this whole content fucking dump. And it's like, what's, what are people talking about this week? And then it's forgot. I mean, I think that's what happens. Things get released and then people forget about them. And it's on to what's the next hot thing, you know? And yeah. I typically never like to watch things when they're released because it's like, well, I don't really care about the hype. I want to know what my thing is. I don't believe in spoilers. You can tell me the plot of anything. I don't really give a fuck. I could, if the plot is going to ruin it for me, it's probably not a good film <laughs> or a TV show or whatever. I should know. I mean, I had that with Breaking Bad. I knew a lot was going to happen. And when I watched it, it was still kind of amazing. I was still like, this is really surprising. But I knew a lot of people had spoiled it for me for like years. And I was like, I don't care. It's so, it's so well told mm. that it doesn't matter, you know. And I just don't think there's enough of that going on. I wish there was. I just wish there were more very distinct voices. What I loved about it, it's what I do love about Takes to the Massacre. It does have a very distinct voice. And I just wish there was more of that going on. Um, I just think things are getting lost and things are getting very faceless. And there is, I think... Part of it's just it's just the culture now, you know. But I also think there is a very corporate thing going on within, you know, these different TV shows and other things of like people are very risk adverse. And I think it was great, you know, seeing that in like, you know, even text management even though you hate the second one, it, it is a film that you're not gonna forget it. Nope. <laughs> <You know>? nope. <laughs> and there's not a lot of things you can necessarily say about. I mean, Cats. I think it's a horrible film. I'm never gonna forget it. You know, and thank fucking God for that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, 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 with, with Cats, it's like, oh, what a shame this bombed so badly because studios are also gonna be like, oh, can't take any more risks like that anymore. You know, I'm like, no, please do. Like, this is great. <laughs> well, I mean, it clearly should. I mean, that's part of the fun of watching. Like. How the fuck did anybody think this was going to be a good thing? Like, it's so batshit fucking crazy. And yet, I'm so glad it exists. You know, like, <laughs> thank God for that movie being around. And yeah, there's just, even on a smaller scale, there's not enough of that. You know, I mean, I think, I just wish there was more of, more of that happening in a, in a larger scale. I just, I just think it's more people out. I just think things get very lost in, like, the current culture. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's a very depressing thing to me. Justin, you touched on a few things that have, like, kind of been coming up for me, but, like, I just, I have unfortunately gotten to a place where I do consume, and at this point I'm going to call it content, like, I consume a lot of content, I am on the internet a lot, I am constantly, like, I carry my iPad around the house and I'm watching TV shows and anything else, but it is so rare for me to actually sit down and experience filmmaking as an art, And, you know, like I said, for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I was like, what is this independent whatever? But it created a strong reaction in me. And so it's making me think about, like, what has happened to the art of filmmaking? And when you're talking about how there are fewer studios and they're very risk adverse, it seems like the focus is what can make content or what can do buzz and clicks, which just ultimately feeds making more money instead of what are the stories 
that you want to tell. I remember you and I talking about something one time and I asked you like, what do you think you do? And you're like, I'm a storyteller. And just thinking about all the ways in which each of our lives, we create things to create, not because it's going to generate X, Y, or Z. Like, yeah, we all need to have, unfortunately we need to have jobs and we need to make money, but it's like, what really feeds your soul? And like, I feel like that has been missing from my own life. Like I, I watch what I would say is a lot of junk food of TV and movies and, and anything else, but I'm not really watching things or seeking out things that feed my soul. And really like, that's the beauty of art, right? Is that it helps us connect to ourselves and to the wider world. And that makes me think about how like with our, you know, with our brother's kids, like and and just kids kind of now, like if they can stream so many things, like what happens when you don't have that collective in-person experience? And there can be collective experiences where like, yeah, people are talking about it, but it seems to go so quickly. But like there's something so beautiful about being able to walk into a theater and have all these individual experiences, but as part of a collective, it's like going to see live music, right? You are having your own experience, but you're experiencing that with others. And like, fuck, man, that's one of the things that I realized with this whole pandemic. Like I fucking miss experiencing art with other people. And that's why I loved watching Squid Game with you. And even when we finished it separately and we're talking about it, I miss having these conversations and like us starting this podcast has sort of like reignited that in me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's funny. I think like Texas Massacre too, like that would probably be a movie you'd probably enjoy more with a crowd, Katie, oh, just yeah. because it is so ridiculous. You mean not, 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 not on a plane? Yeah. I mean, it's not a great, crowd. Yeah. No. <laughs> but even like, I wouldn't have enjoyed cats if I just watched it at home, you know, like seeing it in a crowd was what made that yeah. great because it made the experience. And there is like, it is so much harder to get out to see things now. I think it's just, I know in L.A. there are just less theaters open, and even when you go, it's usually smaller smaller crowds. But there's also just less interesting stuff out there. I mean, I'm going tomorrow night to see House of Gucci. I'm expecting it. I don't think it will be, but I've been like, I'm hoping it's the Cats at 2021. You know? <laughs> uh, but I don't think it will be. I mean, I, Maybe I've heard, parts of, I hear Jared Leto's performances. I mean, I love Jared. Wait, have, you, you know. have you seen it? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I'm pretty I, excited. I, I mean... Oh, to 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 uh, we're gonna we're gonna snort lines of Arribata sauce just like Jarrett Leto did, you know? <laughs> <laughs> as he said he did for the thing. So we'll see. Uh, but I mean, I mean, I mean, even if it's over the top and I don't love it, I, I'm sure it will be an experience. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I it's it is interesting just just the level of what is and out there. I mean, I do. I mean, I think more with the nephew with our nephews. Just what are they going to experience and what are they going to latch on to? I don't know, you know, but I, I, as much as I love comics, I hope they latch on other stuff. You know, I mean, I grew up collecting and reading comic books, but you can't, the diet can't be that your whole life, you know. I mean, Katie, but no, Katie, you may disagree. Yes, can. <laughs> Any listeners, yes, there are comic content for every age. Do yeah. not listen to Justin. <laughs> but only, only by DC and maybe Image. Only, only by DC. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I still read and buy comic books, but I, but I also know that. You know, I want to see a greater, you know, part of the world than just that, you know. Uh, but I, I just also don't, you know, there's so much of latching, what's happened, so much latching to IP with, like, things. And, and the end of film world is kind of gone. You know, it's kind of gotten, 
very decimated and there's still stuff's coming out but it's just it's a very different field there's just not a variety of stuff well it's like but, a, you know john waters says that like he's not even making films anymore because he can't get funded yeah, right he, like he it's either yeah. really tiny or really huge and like mm. what happened to that middle point like would well, they ever make serial mom again i don't think they ever no, could they should and i love that movie <laughs> Well, and it's like, I, I mentioned something it's got to give earlier. Like, Nancy, My- Nancy Myers can't get a movie made. Yeah. And every one of her movies has been profitable. But, like, no one wants to make a $60 million comedy anymore. Yeah, the rom-com's kind of, like, dead. You and, know, but, I mean... Yeah, they're on streaming, too. It's, which it's, it's which stre- is fine. Yeah. But, but it is, so, like, the a, a separate experience. It's gone. You know, which is kind of sucks. I mean, I don't love rom-coms, but I wanted to see them out there. You know? So so talking about a collective experience, last night, and actually I mentioned this earlier, I had friends over, uh, you know, nine gay men in a room watching the Netflix gay rom-com Single All the Way, which is their gay Christmas movie. And it was fantastic to watch it with people and just like that have that kind of group experience um and that's like i want that in a bigger scale with like lots of people in an audience it's yeah i mean i I, it it's just it's a very strange time you know it'll be interesting to see what happens in 10 years i mean i've i've always predicted that you know you're gonna see certain things fall out i mean i think the horror genre is so interesting because it's always survived it transcends the uh i mean they've always said if you want to make a profit when you make a horror film it's your first film because you can easily sell it to international markets and like, I mean that's kind of the interesting thing about like the first one, the first text. It's like it made so much money, even though, you know, a lot of kind of typical Hollywood accounting where the filmmakers didn't see the money. But you know, it was the most profitable horror movie until Halloween. The first Halloween came out, you know, and then that was like this huge thing. And you don't know see even see that much that much anymore. But you know, Blumhouse is doing doing a great job of like putting out a ton of horror films, and they've definitely done, had some interesting stuff. But you know, a lot of like crap too but i mean there's always a lot of crap in the horror genre you know there's a lot of crap in the 70s too but it's kind of fun to look back at even the crap then and maybe in 20 years we'll look back at the crap of now and be like this is really fun so yeah. <laughs> yeah. love that yeah i was gonna say it's when i was researching it it um it was actually banned in a number of countries like it would not be released like they either had to edit it and they were like no we're not gonna do that or like they shouldn't want to get into it. Like, I think it was Germany and London. Like, it took like twenty years for the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be released. And in some countries, they had to work on it for several years in order to get it released. So, like, it makes me think about, yeah, what are the films now that are really going to endure? What are the things that we're going to reflect back on and say, like, this did have an impact? Because yeah. in some ways, things aren't getting made, and in other ways, the markets oversaturated of certain things so it's like what does make an impact like i know we've talked about this a little bit about hidden gems you know made by kids we went to film school with and like i didn't love it but it stuck with me uncut gems uncut uncut gems gems. thank you what did i say hidden gems what's wrong with me this just shows that i am the least filmic out of the four (laughs) of us here no seeing uncut gems gems would be the the rom-com remake (laughs) yeah But, like, I, I'm, like, so impressed that the Safety Brothers, like, got that made, had such a wide release, and it isn't – it didn't feel like a totally typical story. And maybe it helped that Adam Sandler yeah. was, was you know, the, the like, star in that. Yeah. But it like, – Like, I don't think in 10 years anyone – no disrespect, Ashley – anyone's going to be talking about the Kissing Booth movies. No, fuck no. <laughs> like, I don't even want to talk about them, and I've like, watched all three of them. Like, but, it, yeah, it's just a lack of those, like – because, you know, we watched them at home, a lack of that collective experience. Yeah. I mean, I think the Zafi Brothers are, like, one of the few new voices that are great, you know. Um, I mean, I think they're 
kind of some of the best new filmmakers out there. You know, I think even um, uh, uh, Ari Aster is great, even though I don't always love every one of his films. I, I loved Hereditary, Midsommar I wasn't in love with, but I think it's also a, a film for a female, more for a female-centric audience, which I, because I have a lot of female, friend, female friends, female filmmakers love it, and I just couldn't connect with it, but I, I love it. So I, I, I love that he's making those films, or I didn't love that film, but... But I think it's a good film. You know, I think there's some really fascinating things. For it just didn't hit me emotionally, same. but maybe I need to revisit it. I have it. the same feeling as you, and I've, I've rewatched it a few times, uh, but I'm the same as you. I like I liked Hereditary. Uh, Midsummer. I did not super-duper care for, but it's, it's a voice that's at least, it feels different. Yeah. I did, I... I'll tell this story. It's funny. Because he's such a crazy kind of, like, out there filmmaker, I have an ex who loves that film. She's a filmmaker, and she was working this summer and I did a wonderful prank where I texted her and I was like, did you hear? He's totally renounced horror. He's going to go into making comedies. And I was like, have you not seen his Instagram? She's like, no, I'm on set. I was like, you got to go to his Instagram like, like page. He has a bunch of stories saying he's going to remake Midsummer because there's been so many directors. There's been like a couple of director cuts of it. And I was like, he's telling, he's saying he's going to release like a comedy covet because there's a few, you can find them online. There's a few like comedy like trailers of the movie which are fucking fantastic. And I was like, have you not seen A24's released his first live trailer for it? Oh, and no. she totally fucking believed me until she saw the trailer. She's like, fuck you. But yeah, there are a few amazing like comedy trailer versions of that movie, which I'm kind of, which once again, it's like, I do find it, the, the, the line between horror and comedy is so close, you know? So it is so fascinating. It's like, she actually could believe that. And it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's kind of crazy that, that I actually got away with that joke. <laughs> Can you say more about how you think horror and comedy are close to real? Like, I think about, like, the tension and release and stuff, but what do you... I, I do think, having cut both, I think they're the only genres out there for an audience that you really... They demand, they demand a collective response. I don't think you get out of dramas. I don't think you get out of a lot of other films... But you can go see a horror film in a theater with people. People are pretty much going to scream at the same time. I mean, if people are if it's good and it works, you're going to see it. And laughs are kind of they're kind of infectious. Scares and laughs are very infectious, and you're going to see other crowds at the same time. And you really don't get that in any other like genre at all, in my opinion. You know, I mean, because because a drama you can go and people can be affected. Some people be crying about things. I'm going to be like this. I hate this. But you're not going to get the cries at the same time. Mm. It just doesn't happen. And it's, it's, it's such a fascinating it's thing. Interesting. Justin, this is the lesson that Monsters Incorporated taught us. <laughs> <laughs> that scares and laughs have equal, equal power. Well, equal not equal power, but... <laughs> they, I mean, to me, they're very connected, you know, because you go to, like, especially just, you know, we're not that far away from Halloween. You go to, like, a, a, haunt, a you know, haunted house kind of experience. People go through... What's the first thing that happens? You go through... You get the, the shit scared of you. And the first thing people usually do after they get scared is they laugh. You know, like the thing mm-hmm. in the roller coaster. You go on the roller coaster, you scream, and then it's over and you laugh right away. I mean, I think those two things are so related to each other um, in a way that, like, people, you know, and I think a lot of people do realize, but not maybe not enough. It, they're so closely related. And I think the cutting for comedy and horror is very similar. They're very similar, mm. like, like, you know, set up, like here's the punchline or here's the scare, you know? And like, they're very close to each other. It's kind of fascinating how close they look. So it doesn't surprise me. You see a lot of horror filmmakers go into kind of more comedic stuff or incorporate 
comedic stuff into their things because they're just very, very closely related in my eyes. So, yeah. It's awesome. I'm just curious. Like, so what can you, like, I have an idea of what an editor is, but can you guys kind of walk us through, like, if you work on an episode of a show, like what, what, what you do basically to kind of educate our audience on. That. Yeah. I mean, I think it's different for a lot of different people, yeah. but for me, I mean, what you're really doing is once you get the footage and you're really shaping the performances and the arc of the story. I, I think other, I think editors do different things. I've always considered myself a little bit more hands-on a little bit more. I mean, I have a, I'm very opinionated, which is good and bad, I guess, depending on who's asking who I'm working with. But I have a very definitive thing of like how things should look and sound. And I definitely have a different definitive way of how I like things to be cut. I mean, mm. you know, you don't always have the choice, but I don't like a lot of cutting. I mean, I've done things that are very cutty, but I the older I get, the less I want to see it. I, I don't want to see typical editing. I think definitely having worked with Sam and working with Sam Esmail and David Lynch, you, I realize I want to see things that I don't see anywhere else. So whatever mm. it is I'm working on, I like to kind of shape it in that way. And I like to kind of hold in performances. But as far as what I do is like you go through, you get the dailies, you're shaping performances, you're, you're you know, you'll get a scene in. It's like you just want to figure out what the tone of the show is. Tone to me is the hugest thing of like, you know is it funny? Is it whatever, you know, is it like scary and just shaping? I mean, I think horror is such a great thing for that because, you know, it's funny, like looking at Texas Chainsaw, you could, the first one, you could remove that soundtrack. It would not be as scary. I don't think I, it's funny. Even Candyman, the original Candyman, you guys, you've talked about it. I remember watching that during the pandemic and thinking, if you remove that Philip Glass score, mm. that, that movie would be kind of ridiculous in some ways. But it's the tone of shaping things with like sound and music and even the performances that like you're able to make take things in a way that you can't do in other art forms. You know, I mean, you can't necessarily do it in the theater. You know, it's such a very especially pitching things to a higher level, which you usually mm. do a lot in horror in a kind of hysterical level. Like you're able to do it and sustain it in a way with editing, you know, that would be kind of ridiculous on the stage. I mean, the, if you took text change, it's had that woman screaming on the stage for 20 minutes to the end you'd be ridiculous but being able to cut it and like do it in a way that like keeps the tension and all kind of like with the music and everything able to like shape that in a way that kind of keeps that going which makes it not seem totally silly mm. it's kind of what we do i mean uh, uh, yeah so it is like that a lot of shape performance a lot of like figuring out the story beats you know once you get the whole thing together like what works what doesn't cutting out things that don't work re- you know shifting things around and I tend to do a lot of sound design, even in the even just when I'm doing my initial cuts, which people usually lead to the mix stage, but I don't like to do it um, just because I like to know that what I'm seeing works because of that. And I like to also kind of incorporate, you know, sounds and like sound design into my editing as like, you know, let's make this a part of like the whole experience. I mean, mm. I, you know, was born with you know, only 40% hearing in my left ear. So sound is a big part, part and part of, me, of for me, maybe because I have a hearing deficiency. So I don't just feel like I watch pictures. I see and hear and feel them, you know? Um, and it's important for me that other people do as well. I think also sound, you can a lot of time direct people's eye where to go in the screen, just with little sound effects. Mm. And so I like to kind of think about that as well. And so I want to kind of put those things in. I usually always stay on to the mix and like help make sure that when we do the mix and stuff like in the offline, we are either 
building on or making thing. And I usually kind of always will put temp and other things and talk to the composers with the directors and have a lot of opinions of where I think that what the music should and shouldn't be like. And because it's such a big, important part of, for me, what the experience is, you know, I don't, it's not just the the picture editing. It's kind of the whole experience, you know, I, I just think, it's such an immersive watching this is an immersive experience. I want to make it that way. And I definitely always feel like everything I do, you know, I mean, it's silly what we do, but I want to take it as seriously as possible and do as big, you know, a great job as I can. So I try to like, you know, I'll kind of give my opinion on everything, whether people want it or not. Usually (laughs) half the time they're like, can you shut up finally? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I think with that, you're really rewriting the story. You know, it's the final edit of like the script, and um, you know, you can write it, but what the actors do is going to be different. You know, they they give you the clay to like work with, and you're like kind of, you know, it's just completely treating. I think you get the footage, and you're treating like a living thing that isn't. You're not just trying to like, here's what it says. You're trying to like bring out an, another thing and make it a very. Maybe it's a kind of very abstract way of talking about it. Yeah. But I think kind of that sums it up better than just like, oh, I get footage and I cut it, you know, A yeah. to B to C. Very cool. Um, yeah. But it is like that thing. It's like everyone's like, oh, what does it really do? I mean, I think we're always horrible at describing it. <laughs> and we usually hate people watching us who want to be left alone in our little dark rooms and to work away. And yeah, I mean, I think that's all true. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think I think editors are kind of a big, you know, aren't really talked about in the way DPs or a lot of other people on the writers are, but I think editors really should be known. And when it's done well, they're, they're as much a voice as like anything. I mean, you look at a movie like Star Wars, which would not really exist in the shape it is without Marsha Lucas, who really made that film and the editing. And it's well documented what she did to help reshape and make that film. And I think she's as much a voice in that film as George Lucas you know, um, so yeah, I think there, and there's a lot of editors like that. Yeah. You know? What do you think is the best edited movie? I don't think there's any one. I think everyone, <laughs> I mean, there's so many. Oh, we're, great, we're really a, like a highlight, a highlight one for you. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great films with great editing. I mean, I, I, this, you know, like, I mean, honestly, it's like half the time you should not know that something's cut, but I mean, you do, you know, I mean, I mean, I kind of, there are a lot of different filmmakers and editors that I love and but that's so hard it's just kind of a hard thing I mean I think for me the filmmaker and the editor that I got into who really made me want to edit and cut films was the Thelma Schoonmacher and Martin Scorsese collaboration Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I saw her when I was in high school talking and it was you know I don't think you know I think that's a true collaboration and they the editing very much advances what they're trying to do and they do a bit of improv and and, and there's a lot of improv in, those, in his films, and I think those their films they've made together, some of the you know are really amazing, you know. And so, I think she is kind of one of the great editors ever. And but I think there's a lot of people like that, you know. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's hard to put one one thing like yeah. one person I've ever like yeah. said that's it. But you know, and I, I mean, my taste change constantly. You know, I feel like I do a year every year. Then year I'm like, what the fuck am I into now? <laughs> you know. <laughs> Just, and I feel like you know, no, obviously, comic book editors and film editors are completely different jobs. But uh, it feels like a lot of the way that I describe editing comics sounds very similar in in this one phrase, which is. Editors get all of the blame and none of the credit. 
So if something goes really (laughs) poorly, it is the editor's fault. If something goes really well, the editor had nothing to do with it. Exactly. Um, so that's, that's how it is in comics, too, because uh, and, and editors are meant to be almost invisible and are meant to, like, highlight the be- the best of the work, which, you know, it, it's just funny because in my head when you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds very similar to comic editing. Yeah. It's always funny to me. I, I find it funnier the older I get because I've definitely seen things really save to reshape editors and yet you never hear that said about a dp i mean when dps are great it's like they're hailed as like yep. the great thing and like you know and I, sometimes yeah the cinematography is the best thing about a movie yep. you know but you know it, you know if a movie's working well it's because the material you're given as an editor you're able to make a great thing so it's not like you're saying oh the editing is the best thing you know it's because the material was there to make a great edit you know um so it is like a very weird position you know and it does feel like like you're you, like the people doing it who are really great, you don't always don't hear about as much of. I think people in the industry do, and it's probably the same. I would guess in the same way in the com in the comic book world, like you know, great editors, but nobody knows their names. You know, like a Garth Ennis or like you know a Tom King or somebody. You know, but like it is like you're kind of not as well known. There, I mean, there's a few, but not really in like the greater culture. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I can just listen to you two nerd out forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big, big old nerds. Well, thank you for letting me subject you guys to like yeah. these yeah. two films, even though Katie hated the second one. I, <laughs> I super duper did, and now I own it, and I'm like, what the crap am I going to do with this? You know what? You are going to start to subject other people to it, which is what no. we did in our childhood, but with root beer. We went to the East Coast in the late 80s, and we got Moxie root beer, and we brought a bunch back, and then we would tell people, oh, it's so good, you gotta try it, and then we would fucking laugh when they would like, taste it and <laughs> spit it out. So, no, Justin, thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to come on and, yeah. and talk to us. This is, like, I... I literally could listen to you talk about film um, all the time. Um, so just feel free, you know, anytime you're home or you just want to be like, I just, I'm just going to talk about this. At least somebody can in the world, so. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. Yeah. Um, okay, so final wrap-up. Graham, Katie, would you watch either of these? Again, would you choose to? Probably not. <laughs> but I might watch the opening scene for the second one again, just for fun. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, because Katie's got it, so we could watch it. I know. Next time we're in L.A. Yes, anytime. uh, You can watch it by yourselves. Um, I will definitely never rewatch the second one. I, it depends. I might rewatch the first one, but it'll probably be like years and years and years and years and years from now when I'm like, oh, I haven't watched it in a while. Maybe I should. Uh, Yeah. So, I don't know. Not going to make it into my rotation. I'm sorry, Justin. I'm not... uh... I'm not worried. <laughs> there's enough people out there watching it, so I think I think it's good. Yeah. It's earned its place. I and there's a good. new one coming out in February. Yeah, I mean they, you know, it's one of those horror franchises that yeah. they they constantly are trying to revive and I don't know that it ever got better than the first two. Even if you hate the, the second one, I don't know that they've ever made anything as interesting. But it is fun. I mean, I remember seeing one in the early, in the mid-2000s. It was like, I think it was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, New Beginning. And something. I was like, this is fun, but I'm never going to watch it again at home. You know, it doesn't, I mean, just because you've seen it at that point. But, I mean, it's hard to remake a good, like, one of these films. I don't know that the new Halloweens, I think people even, it's fun or not, or as much as they like or hate them, nobody said they're great films per se, you know, yeah. and I don't think they're going to be something that people are watching. But I mean, that's just the thing of like, 
it's easier to make, remake IP now than it is to like come up with a new thing, you know. So God bless somebody like Jordan Peele who's going out and really, you know, making original crazy horror films, you know. Yeah. So I will say I do have a question because I've not seen any of the other ones in this franchise. But at the end of two, it felt very much like we were gonna get uh, a female Leatherface. I'm assuming we don't in the in the rest. No, of the but that would be great, and they should probably latch onto that for the future. The future right. of the franchise. That's what I was thinking. Maybe. I was like, oh, she's got the the chainsaw. She does the dance. I'm like, okay, do we get a new female Leatherface? I'm like, oh no, we don't. Okay, no, I, I was but- assuming not. Fun tidbit, so three stars a very young Renee Zellweger and a Matthew, young Matthew McConaughey. I think after Days of Confused, but it's still one of his early roles. Another fun tidbit about two, the poster for Texas Music 2002 apes the Breakfast Club on purpose. Oh my God. Yep. So. Yep, saw that. I was like, that yeah. looks familiar. Yeah, they were particularly, they're, yes, very particularly aping the, the, the Breakfast Club poster, so... Two fun little trivia bits for you to close out the. uh... (laughs) I think you know what. I don't know if I would watch two again. I don't know. I'm like maybe I saw it on Tubi, um, so got to watch it for free. And then I can't even remember how I watched one, but I was still able to watch it um, for free because we use like our Amazon Fire Stick. I I really missed like a lot of the dark humor. And everything when I was watching the first one, like I was, I was looking at it too seriously because of what I'd heard about it. And the director talked about how he and the writer Kim Henkel saying like, "There's a lot of dark humor in it." And like they, when they wrote it, and they just like laughed, and they're like, "Yes, okay, this is good." So I think I would watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre again and try to look at it through more of that lens and really see like. What is the thing that I missed that they were intending um, or that other folks had seen that I hadn't? Um, and I think that is so interesting, like with any piece of art or, or filmmaking is figuring out like what have other people thought and then wanting to go back and watch it again. So. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This is our the final uh, episode in our in our winter themed area. So uh, we will see you again. We'll be back in January after this airs. And we're just going to leave an air of mystery. Keep yes. you wanting. Yes. You know, um, maybe look for some sneak preak. Preak? Preak. No. <laughs> What is, I still, Grave throughout the entirety of this thing, I've <laughs> never been able to freak. speak properly. Spreak? A, <laughs> sneak freak. Um, maybe pay attention to our socials, but really just Instagram, because we all know I really yeah. suck at, at doing the Twitter. So pay attention to our Instagram. Make sure you're following us. Graham, what is that handle again? Let me intro you pod. There we go. Follow let me intro you pod on Instagram and uh, you'll get a hint at what our next theme is. And if you have any ideas for what future yeah. themes are or people you want us uh, to have on as guests, or if you want to be on a guest, um, DM us again on Instagram because I'm, it's not going to happen. <laughs> if you want to be on a guest, if you want to be on a guest, get, on as a guest, we have a dating service. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 
Let Me Introduce You is a podcast hosted by Graham Veth, Katie Kubert, and Ashley Crone. Music by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. Make sure to follow the Let Me Introduce You podcast on Instagram at Let Me Intro You Pod and on Twitter at Let Me Intro You.